Well, thanks for joining me for the fifth and final installment of our Before Bethlehem series. Here as we close out 2018 together, I'd ask that you uh, pray with me now where you are. Dear Jesus, thank you so much for the weeks that we've spent studying your word and where you as the Lord Jesus have been active in our life and our faith story before you were even born at Christmas time. And as we close out the series, God, we ask that you would help us close out 2018 remembering you, remembering how you are the God who goes before us, and you go way, way back before us, God, to the beginning of time and to when you were thinking of us millennia ahead of when we were actually born. So we ask that you come now and speak and that you enlighten us as to your word and to your purposes, specifically as we study Isaiah the prophet. In your name we pray and together we say, amen and amen. Well, as I just said, uh, we're closing out Before Bethlehem by looking at Isaiah the prophet. And in particular, uh, we're talking about a story that happens in the sixth chapter of Isaiah's book, or the book that bears Isaiah's name, let's put it that way, uh, where Isaiah stands before the Lord and has a conversation. And as we understand it now, the Lord that he's talking to in the sixth chapter of the book that bears his name is actually Jesus. He's actually having a conversation with Jesus. And the the context of the conversation is he's standing around with um, a, a bunch of angels, you know, uh, seraphim, those who are six-winged angels. And uh, they are all singing and calling to one another, as the scripture says, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty, is Yahweh Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And uh, as Isaiah is having this vision and experiencing this moment of worship with the seraphim, uh, he suddenly understands and uh, begins to see very clearly that he stands in the presence of a holy God and he's feeling, he's feeling inadequate and compromised. And here's how that goes. Uh, starting in verse 5 of uh, Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah cries out, Woe to me, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. And then as the story goes, you can see one of the seraphim flying in with a live coal in his hand, uh, that he's picked up with tongs from the altar there in the vision. He touches it to Isaiah's lips and says, uh, your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. And then what happens next is pretty remarkable. The, uh, the prophet side of Isaiah comes out and prophet Isaiah begins to work in the kingdom of God. He begins to speak on behalf of God to uh, the kingdom of Judah in particular. And, uh, and yet we see this really interesting dynamic with Isaiah hesitant before the Lord God um, because he is a man of what the scripture calls unclean lips. And he lives among a people of unclean lips. And so what does that mean? What, what's the context of that? In essence, he's standing around among a bunch of uh, celestial beings, angels, seraphim, uh, seraphs who are praising God with clean lips. Um, that's because all created beings who are sinless may stand in the presence of a holy and perfect God. And these are the angels who didn't rebel against the Lord and uh, were not cast out with uh, Satan to the earth to roam about and come and go uh, until the end of times. These are beings who are perfect and sinless in the eyes of God, who continue to obey and worship Him day and night. And Isaiah finds himself very much alone in the company of beings who um, 
frankly, who have uh, have the the grace of God around them, but don't really need it because they haven't sinned, as it were. Um, you know, and in essence, it's it's kind of interesting because. Um, the the scholarship of, of folks who study the book of Isaiah and who would study this vision that Isaiah had in chapter 6 would say that Isaiah, the book, was actually written by a bunch of different people. That there may be one person who wrote this section and another person who wrote another section, another set of prophecies that Isaiah had. And that these people together would comprise um, um, a group of people who wrote the book of Isaiah. But what's interesting is there's been an archaeological find around Jerusalem of late um, where there was an actual physical seal uh, that was uh, recovered um, in part. Uh, it's kind of a, a circle that's you know maybe a, um, a centimeter or two in diameter and half the circle is missing. Uh, but we understand that the bottom half of the circle, a little bit more than the, than the bottom half of it, contains two words. The first word very clearly says Isaiah. And the second word is a partial word, which we believe says the prophet. So what we're seeing is archaeological evidence that kind of flies in the face of academia, which purports that Isaiah, the book, was written by a number of different people. Um, we believe that this seal confirms what the scripture uh, basically uh, infers here, that Isaiah is one person who wrote the entire book and released uh, an entire set of, of um, prophecies as one person. Um, what's interesting about the book of Isaiah is that the first 39 chapters are kind of, you know, woe to the kingdom of Judah. That there's going to be difficulty. They're going to be conquered and, um, and they're going to be dispersed uh, amongst their enemies. But then chapters 40 through 66 tell a different story where there's going to be new hope for them and a redemption by uh, the Messiah, a suffering servant. Um, but, but what happens back in, in Isaiah chapter 6, and in light of, of that vision, um, is the beginning of Isaiah's uh, prophetic career where he begins to speak on behalf of the Lord to the kingdom of Judah, both a difficult message that there is judgment coming for them in this temporal life and that there is redemption waiting for them in the form of a suffering servant who would be the Messiah. It's very much the same as it is with you and me. We find ourselves compromised and unholy and imperfect in the presence of a holy God who approaches us through the Christmas story in the form of the baby Jesus and touches our lips with a hot coal who is the, the life of the Messiah who dies for us on the cross and then rises again from the grave three days later, ascends into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, sharing uh, the Father's power along with the Holy Spirit. But what's interesting about this story and, and, and Isaiah's place in it is uh, that he experiences very much the same feelings that you and I are tempted to experience when we encounter the story of a holy God coming to us in the form of the baby Jesus. Uh, feelings of compromise, feelings of inadequacy, um, and whether we truly feel those feelings passionately or deeply or not, we do understand that the gospel story says that we cannot stand in front of a holy God, that only holy beings can be in his presence. 
and yet He has brought His presence to us proactively through His Son, Jesus. Um, Paul shares this thought in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 when he says, Christ died for everyone, starting in verse 15. He died so that those who live should not live for themselves anymore. They should live for Christ. He died for them and was raised again. There was a switch that happened in the celestial world between Christ and us on the cross. And in this life, a switch occurred, a substitution occurred. Verse 16 goes on and says, So from now on, we don't look at anyone the way the world does, as temporal beings. At one time, we looked at Christ in that way, but we don't anymore. Verse 17 says, When anyone lives in Christ, the new creation has come, the old is gone, the new is here. This is very much the same message that was presented to Isaiah the prophet 700 and something years before the baby Jesus even came. So what we're talking about here is a timeless message, a message that tells a story that happens outside the bounds of time and space, where God sits on his throne, holy and perfect, surrounded by beings who have not sinned and do not bring sin into his presence. He comes out of that arena into the arena of sin and selfishness and doubt and inadequacy and compromise, which is the world and the realm in which we live. You know, um, as you get a little bit further into the book of Isaiah, say in the next chapter, chapter 7, you see a snapshot of Isaiah's uh, prophetic career happening in, uh, in the life of King Ahaz, who was the father of King Hezekiah, um, who, um, who Isaiah would also serve after Ahaz. And here's what happens in the life of Ahaz. The Lord speaks to Ahaz uh, through um, Isaiah and says in verse 11 of Isaiah chapter 7, Ask the Lord your God for a sign, whether in the deepest depths or in the highest heights. Ahaz responds almost like we would. He says, I will not ask. I will not put the Lord to the test. Here you see a basic misunderstanding of the law that says don't put the Lord to the test. The Lord has commanded Ahaz um, to ask for a sign, and he intends um, with celestial purpose uh, to give this sign. And here's what the sign is. Uh, Skip down to verse 14. Isaiah says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. And of course, we know the meaning of Emmanuel to be God with us. So you see, as the career of Isaiah unfolds, he begins predicting the future. And the veracity of his career as a prophet or uh, the credibility of his career as a prophet is, of course, proven by whether or not the prophecies come true. We believe that he was speaking to Jesus in Isaiah chapter 6 about Jesus' birth in Isaiah, uh, which is predicted in Isaiah chapter 7. So Isaiah understood as he was talking to the Lord Jesus and then beginning his prophetic career that Jesus would come in the form of a son who a child uh, would be given. A son is born to us. A child is given. His name will be Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And that joins uh, that name of Emmanuel, meaning God with us. And you know, uh, here at Christmas time and at the beginning of a brand new year, uh, the challenge is very much the same as it was for Isaiah, who was called before God and was inspired by God to speak for God into his average everyday life. And, and in that situation, the kingdom of Judah. 
And what that looks like for us is God calling us and equipping us by touching us with a live coal on our lips when we realize and understand that we are inadequate and, um, and compromised in front of Him, at the same time restored by Him. So let us remember this message, specifically as we go into this brand new year, that God has called us to a bigger purpose, a higher purpose than simply our own lives. And that purpose is to bear witness to His goodness and His power, the power of His redeeming us through Jesus, even though we don't deserve to stand in His presence. That's pretty amazing news. And in fact, it has life-changing um, ramifications to it. If someone clearly understands that message, that a God who created them and loves them so much to send his son so that he could um, have a stand in his presence as sinless and holy in his sight, it changes the way we think about life. It changes the way we see other people. It changes the way we think and talk and act in this life. And so that's very much the message for us going into this new year. Uh, through the life of the prophet Isaiah is that there is a story around us that God is calling us into, a big story that's millennia in the making, the story of a holy God drawing us into his presence, giving us purpose and meaning and faith and power through his Holy Spirit that he gives to us uh, through uh, our, our trust and our belief in Jesus. So my prayer for you, wherever you are listening to this message, is that you will find in 2019 a bigger purpose for your life, a purpose that is God-ordained, one in which your sins are forgiven in the name of Jesus, and where you realize the full power of that message in your daily life, your thought life, your speaking life, and your acting life, uh, and see in that God's great love for you and for me uh, in a timeless message that has been around long before the Christmas story. Would you pray with me? Dear God, thank you so much uh, for your purpose and for your power. Thank you for the meaning of the Christmas story. And thank you for the fact that it happened and it took place long before the actual first Christmas did in the mind of God through Jesus, who stands with you and the Holy Spirit in eternity, calling us and coaxing us to him, reaching out to us and bringing us into his presence. God, I have to admit that there are times when I don't believe this message in its full force. I don't believe that you want me in your presence and that you call me there through the power of Jesus and through his ministry. Sometimes I don't believe the words of Isaiah that a son is given to me, a child is born for me. I ask that you would shore up this uh, inadequacy and this compromise in my soul through Jesus, as you've already done and already promised to do from millennia past. I ask that you shore this disbelief up in me and that you uh, turn me into a new course, a new set me on a new path where you might use me to share the good news of Jesus uh, from on high, from your perfect and, and powerful throne on high uh, through lips that are compromised and now restored in Christ. And I ask all this in your name, trusting you in the close of 2018 and the beginning of 2019. In your name we pray, amen.